So um, again, a very warm welcome to you. It's so good to be together. And uh, it just fills our hearts with joy to hear the buzz of conversation and connection and getting coffee and being together again. And uh, for those of you who missed last Sunday, it was, it was just such a great Resurrection Sunday. It felt like a bit of a resurrection for our church. And today feels the same. So nice to see you. We are going to be beginning um, just for this season while, while we are regrouping as a church. Uh, there's a couple of awkward long weekends that we're just navigating at the moment and school holidays are another week after this as well. And it's just a bit of a season of um, getting used to being together again. Um, while we are doing this, uh, myself, Alicia and Vivek, who leads our um, New Lynn gathering, um, the sense that we had for just these, these several weeks was let's take this time to, to just share our hearts pastorally as pastoral uh, leaders of this church. Um, let's just take a few weeks. Uh, if those of you who have been around, you know that I cringe at the term Vision Sunday. <laughs> so, but this is kind of the best you're going to get. Because uh, the reason I don't like Vision Sunday is because I think every Sunday should be Vision Sunday. Like we should just be soaking in the vision of what Jesus is doing. But this moment is kind of the regrouping moment, yeah? And it does require some vision. But let's do it by sharing the, the treasure, the taonga of what's in us. And so um, I'm, I'm going to go first today and uh, Leash is going to be speaking next week. And Vivek's going to be speaking the week after. Uh, and then I'm going to finish up again after that. We're going to take a couple of weeks to kind of zoom out as a community and just allow the heart to speak around what we are most passionate about. The sub-briefing for the team <laughs> meeting was like, do the talk that's going to make you cry. But I'm already feeling too fragile. So, um, you know, I've already, I'm already halfway there. But all that to say, what we're going to talk about today in the next couple of weeks, these are some of the things that are most dear to us around the kind of community we sense that God's called us to, to be. And we just want to share that. We want to pass that and, and start to have a dialogue about that, keeping the most important treasures up on the table. So today's talk is entitled Centered on Jesus. And it might sound like a cliche, but it really isn't. And I, I want to talk a little bit about that today. And so I want to invite you to stand for the reading of scripture. And I want to invite my friend, Jamie. Jamie's going to be reading today. She's going to be reading our passage. And if you've got a Bible, turn to Matthew 16 for this reading of Jesus interacting with Peter and his disciples. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, 
and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. And that is the word of God for us today. Grab a seat. He told them not to tell anyone, yet here we are talking about it. (laughs) Oh, rubbish at keeping secrets that lot. Now, the biblical concept of naming was rooted in the ancient world understanding of a name expressed essence and it expressed destiny. So to know the name of a person was to know a person's total character, was to know a person's nature, was to know uh, their story, was to know the destiny, the aim of their life. So the naming of a child, it might actually express in the naming of that child, this is the future that you will have. Um, Sometimes, like in today's reading, if you heard it there, we read about the changing of a name. This could occur because God has changed the name. It could just occur sometimes in the scriptures because someone said to change the name. But it doesn't matter the, the, the reason, it doesn't matter the, who did the renaming. What's important to not misunderstand here is what's going on there. When that was happening, the purpose was always the same. It was to reveal a transformation in that character and their destiny for that person. So a couple of scriptures just to stand on today is back in Genesis, we've got this one here. What's more, I'm changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham for you will be the father of many nations. And those, just the second, verse, the second version just down there is just, I've just changed those underlined words to show you what they mean. Abram means exalted father, but then his name was changed to Abraham. You will be father of many. So the changing of his name changed his destiny. Later on in Genesis 32, your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel. Down there, your name will no longer be deceiver, the man told him. From now on, you will be called God struggles. Um, And here today in the reading for today, Matthew 16, uh, Jesus replied, you are blessed Simon, son of John. Uh, That's just his name. He's just Simon the fisherman, son of John. It's a very functional name. And Jesus renames him Peter or Cephas in the in the, um, the Aramaic, which means rock. You will be called rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. All the powers of hell will not conquer it. Jesus renaming Peter is Jesus enlightening Peter to his destiny. And it's the destiny that Jesus sees for him. Now, it's important just to mention here that this is all sitting in a bigger container in that text. If we just back up a little bit, there was a really important question that was being asked. Do you hear it? The question was this, who do they or who do you say I am? Who do they, the crowds, who are they saying I am? This is Jesus asking the disciples, who do you say I am? Or we could rephrase this question. I'm not tampering with scripture here, but I just wanna show you what that question's trying to ask. What is your perception of my name? What is your perception of my name? What, what, have, what have I been revealed to you as? What is my character? What is my destiny? Who am I to you? And the gospel writers, actually all four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they are all using their gospels continually as this big opened conversation for us as the readers. And we're meant to be having a dialogue with that text. 
And actually at the heart of all four gospels, all four gospel writers are getting us to ask this question continually. As the readers, we are actually meant to always be asking, who is this Jesus guy? Who is he? Is he the carpenter's son? What the heck? He just walked on water. Even the wind and waves obey him. What? Who is he? We're meant to always be asking, what is our perception of this character? They're all meant to give us a comprehensive collage for us to see a greater image of who Christ is. Because Christ is greater than just one name. And in today's text, Matthew is cutting straight to the chase and he has recorded Jesus asking his disciples for their perception of who he is to them. And it's so revealing. You know, they they say, oh, the crowd, they're sort of murmuring about you being a little bit like this prophet. The crowd are kind of saying, oh, you're kind of like this, you know, like, like Elijah sort of thing. That's what we're hearing from them. But Peter says, you are the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. You know, Peter has put the collage together. He has seen it form into something. He's not just the teacher. He's not just the prophet. He's not just a healer or an advocate or a really good social worker or a guy who likes to hold a good dinner party. Christ is so much more He is the one Israel has been waiting for, hanging off Isaiah's words. He is the suffering servant arriving in their midst. He is going to put things back to rights. He is the one who has come, the son of David, the Messiah, the Christ. And each of those names are all loaded up, different perceptions that Peter is seeing. The point here is this. This is what I'm trying to say. How do we say who someone is? Or how do we say how we see them? How do we say how we desire them to be? We name them. How do you answer the who do you say I am question about people? Your friends, your colleagues, you name them. Sometimes that involves a nickname. Sometimes that involves a different name. Sometimes that involves just getting to know their real name. Because names speak of a character to be in the story and they speak of a destiny to live in the story. Now, I've had the pleasure of naming several things in my life. Here are several things I've named. This was my first car, a Datsun 180B. Actually, mine was the four-door. This is just a two-door. It had a blown head gasket and I had to fill it up with water every 30 kilometers that I wanted to drive it. It was green, looked like Kermit, so I nicknamed it Muppet. It was Muppet. It was a great little car. Had a choke. Anyone learnt to drive a car with a choke? Yeah, this is showing the age of the room. People are like, what? A choke? I actually still wish I had that car because that would look great lowered on some steelies, wouldn't it, Asher Pilbrow? Yes, it would. I named my dog Cash. This is my dog Cash. And I actually named him Cash because a few years ago I found this Johnny Cash record with him standing there with two dogs and that word Cash above him. And I thought, I'm going to name my dog Cash. So I actually had to find a dog that suited the name. Uh, and so that's, that was this, I had the name before the dog. So actually technically I found the name and then I had to find the dog to live the destiny of Cash. Um, and he's done a good job. Uh, nearly four years ago, uh, I welcomed, oh, this has stopped clicking, sorry. Can you click that for me there? Um, I don't know why it's done that. Uh, four years ago, I welcomed my little boy, Jimmy, into the world. 
James George Elliot Sheed is his name, James. Uh, a few years ago, we went on a family trip over to the Cabrach, which is in Scotland, which is where my family is from. The Sheeds are from there. And there's a small village, a very small town, a small church, and there's a big cemetery there. And it's full of about 400 years worth of Sheeds. And we stood there, my dad and I, and we went around all the stones and we looked at all of these Jameses and Alexanders and Jameses and Jameses and Johns and John Williams and Jameses and John Williams and James. And I thought... James is missing from our story. Uh, so I, I decided one day if I was lucky enough to have a son, I'd be calling him James. So I leaned into this whakapapa, I leaned into this story, and I named him from that. I named him from standing in that cemetery that day in the car brick. George and Elliot, his two middle names, they're just uh, the names of um, his, his, his poppers. Uh, middle names of one of his pop and the first name of his other pop. And she is his family name. And six weeks ago, we got to name uh, our new little one, Florence. Um, do you want to do that again for me? Sorry. There. Oh, we'll see if this gets working. But this is Florence. This is our little girl. Yeah. Oh. Come on. Let me hear you. Oh. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We named Jimmy because I stood in a cemetery and saw the names of our family. Uh, we named Florence because I wanted to find out what names meant. And Florence means flourishing. And the second I read that Florence means flourishing, that's what I knew I wanted to call my little girl. Her middle name is Isabel, spelt the Scottish way, again from that cemetery, I-S-O-B-E-L. Isabel means pledged to God. And then her next name is Anne, and Anne means grace, can mean grace. So her name means flourishing, pledged to God, grace, sheet. And I've been parenting Jimmy for a couple of years now and I know, I know how tough this is going to be and I know the kind of world she's growing up and I'm not sort of naive to that. So I figured that I was going to start well and I was going to name my daughter the name that I wanted to speak over her every day. Flourishing, flourishing, flourishing. James's name got nicknamed to Jimmy pretty quickly. I like Jimmy better than James. So we just got the nickname in this straight away. So he's branded well. But with Florence... You're not allowed to touch it. No nicknames. She's going to be Florence every day. That's who she's going to be to me. I mean, you can call her Floss or Flo or whatever. You can, but I'm not. Because I want to speak that word flourishing over her every day of her life. The other thing I've named is I've named this church. Uh, about seven or eight years ago, in a notebook, after a time of prayer, as we're starting to dream about what this was going to be, the name came to mind, Central Vineyard. Now, some of you think we call it Central Vineyard because we meet in the center of Auckland, right? Who thinks that? Who's kind of like, it's a geographical nod, isn't it? Yeah, it's a location thing. Wrong. It's not geographical. Uh, the reason we call it Central Vineyard is because it's about our posture. We want to be centered on Christ. We want Jesus to be our center. We want to be central people. So in naming James Jimmy, I wanted to honour my history. And in naming Florence, I wanted to prophesy the future. And in naming Central Vineyard, when we named Central Vineyard, we were trying to do both things. We were trying to honour the fact that we stand on the shoulders of 2,000 years of church history that have tried to do this around Christ. And we wanted to anchor our reality into the future and say we want to lean into that prophecy. We want to be people who keep centering around 
Christ. We want to do both and. We want to walk into the future as centred people and we want to lean on the past as centred people. And so Central Vineyard's name reminds us of the story that we want to live in, the desire we have to live in the story. We want to anchor our identity as a church into um, becoming, I'm oh, sorry, we're seeking to become Christ-centred people. That is who we want to become. And our name is speaking that every time we utter it. You know, there's an analogy, you've probably heard it, it's pretty well worn, but I think it's important for today. You know, a visitor from the city in Australia went to visit his friend who was a rancher out the outback of Australia, out in his cattle ranch. And the rancher took the city slicker and put him in his helicopter and he took him off and they took off to show him this big, huge farm in the outback of Australia, this expansive farm. And they took off above the house, they took off over the main cattle yards, the fencing, and they took, over the first, they took off over the first blocks of paddocks. And as they flew further and further and further for seven minutes into the greater expanse, the man became intrigued the seemingly endless miles of farming country that his friend ran. And something struck him. There was no fences to be seen anywhere. And he asked the rancher on that little intercom thing, you know, on the helicopter, um, why are there no, I'm trying to do sound effects for you to keep you engaged today. Um, um, Why are there no fences? Oh, he's Australian. Hey, why? Well, I'm not going to try. Um, <laughs> to which the rancher friend said over his intercom to him, that's, that's not the problem here, mate. Out here, we dig wells instead of building fences. There's no need to fence the cattle in. If they know where the source of life comes from, the water, they'll come to it. So out here, We build wells, not fences. You know, if the outback is our current secular culture and the church is the farm, are we meant to be building fences or are we meant to be building wells? Is the best version of the church meant to be some group of penned-in people who are bound by the parameters of their prehistoric religious behaviours and beliefs? Or is it a group of people who have found a water source, a life-giving source so dear to them that they will keep coming back to it and returning over and over again. You know, let's just take a little look at how this works a little bit sociologically. You know, how, how do people groups get together? How do people groups work? Okay, now this is very option one and option two, and I know it's not that simple, but this is some sociological stuff just to help you think about groups of people. Firstly, we have a bounded set. And the bounded set works like this. A big group of people have to figure out how do we stick together? How do we do this together? Like what what makes us one? So they draw up a thing to say, well, if you're inside this, you're one of us. And if you're outside it, you're not. Okay, it it can be something as simple as this. Well, we all dress like this. So dress like this and you'll be inside. Oh, if you dress like that, nah, you're, you're probably outside, sorry. Or it even actually has felt, let's dial up a little bit, it's even felt within like the tribalism of our current culture. Oh, sorry, you don't see it that way? Shut up. No, you're a bigot. What's happening there? Oh, you're not seeing it inside the bounded set the way I see it. Get out. Sit down and shut up. 
So it can be as simple as I don't have the right clothes to fit in, right to the extremes of that really heightened, aggressive sort of uh, tone that we're sensing in our culture today. You with me? Everything in between. So that's a bounded set. Option two is a centered set. And how a centered set works is there's not a bounding thing around, but there is a center in the middle that is like the magnet attracting. And what really matters is not whether you are in or out, what matters is what direction are you tracking towards that center? What is the sense of magnetism? Are you moving towards it even if further away, like that right-hand corner one up there? Like, yep, you might say, well, that, that's far away from the center, so therefore they must, be, they must not be that on board. They must not be moving in the right direction. No, they are. They're moving towards the center, therefore they're moving in the right direction. And that one that's close, same thing. But look, there's one that's close there, down the bottom right corner there. It's close to the center, but it's, it's facing the wrong way. It's moving away. It's got its purpose different. It's got a different purpose. It's moving in a different direction. So therefore... The centered set would say, well, if you're moving towards the center, then you are moving with us. I just want to show you those today to say these are ways of thinking about fences or wells. You know, the bounded set is a fenced set and, and the, the well is like a centered set. You know, the core definers of either of these here is on the left at the bounded set, you have this boundary line. Well, you're either over the line or not. You're, you, how close can you get to the line? Can you get really, really close and not leave the group? You know, oh, don't do that. You'll be out. You won't. You'll be. You'll be cast out. <laughs> you know, it's like that. Or, or, or that person's nearly in. That person's nearly in. If they would just do this, they could be one of us. Whereas the core marker of the centered set, the right-hand diagram, is: Do you have the same purpose as us? Are you Are you sharing the same heart as us? Are you moving the same direction? You know, the core markers here on the left is it's very organized. It has a very set thing that says whether you're in or out, but it's also very exclusionary. Whereas the one on the right, it's a bit messier, a bit more diverse, but yet there is a very clear unifier. There's a unifier. There's something drawing people towards the center. The core question on that one on, the, on, on your left, the bounded set, is are you in or are you out? But the core question for the centered set, the well, is well, who are you becoming? And the core actions of the bounded set on the left, well, let's just set up more rules. <laughs> let's clean these rules up. Let's get this clearer and more defined. But the core action on the centered set, that right-hand side, the core action of that group of people is, how's the journey going? Keep up the journey. Keep going. And what is the journey? Well, the journey for centered people, for people who are committing to the well form of church, is that discipleship is all about the journey to the center of the one who said, follow me and I'll show you how to do this. Follow me. We follow a person. His name is Jesus the Christ. At the center of all that we're doing is a person. I will show you to do, how to do this. In Matthew 16, a little bit just after the reading we had today, Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. What does that mean? Wherever you are on that diagram, whichever way your arrow is fo focused at the moment, realign it, bring it back to the center. Focus it back on him. And it's a central vineyard as a name as a brand, as a title, 
What we're trying to do as we say that is to say, we want to be the centered people. This journey is the most important journey to us. And all are welcome on that journey. All are welcome to come to the center. And we are committed to that active journey of following Christ and becoming more like Him in all things. And our name, Central Vineyard, literally declares that intention every single time we say it. We want to be central people. And as Central Vineyard people, our name also reminds us that we are seeking to stay centered people. It's not this kind of thing we just tick off. Oh yeah, well we were centered once, but we've moved on from that now. No, we stay centered people. Uh, I just want to share something. This is, this is not on our website or anything like that, but um, I belong to a, an international thing that's, uh, that's going on called Sea Rock. And Sea Rock is a, a group of pastors who are joining together over a shared set of values. This is, not, this is not vineyard. This is not anything in particular. In fact, it's, it's all kinds of churches. And it's just a sense of pastors who have a shared heart connecting together. And here are the Sea Rock values. There's seven of them. They all start with C. It's all very sexy. Um, courageous, charismatic, contemplative, contextual, contending, compassionate, and communal. Uh, let me just read a couple of things of what these are about. Courageous. This is the commitment to a fidelity to orthodoxy. What that means is a fidelity to keeping the main important treasures of the 2,000 year old church of what truth is and who Jesus has set us up to be and the way to be in the world is maintained. Even if it goes against the grain of culture, even if it's going against the grain of popular opinion, we are committing to this thing. And here's the word that goes with that. You have to be courageous now because we're in a post-Christian world in a post-Christian secular society and the things that used to just be assumed and normal are no longer assumed and normal. What do people think about sexuality? Whoa, a lot of things. What do people think about what we'll do with our money? Oh, a lot of things. What do people think about this and this and this? It's all so messy now. And so what we are committing to is we are, we're gonna have a fidelity to orthodoxy. We're gonna have a fidelity to the last 2,000 years of the church and we're going to walk in the direction of that. We're going to hold on to the historic faith with boldness and confidence in a time of widespread theological and ethical compromise, in a time of, um, where things are getting shifting left, right, yeah, left and right, <laughs> that's about it really, and getting set up as polar camps opposite each other. We're going to find a new journey. And that one's so important to us. The, the other one's charismatic, moving in the power of the Spirit. You know, this is not just about getting some right thinking, but moving with God. I, mean, I love Donald's moment this morning in the worship team as they just led us. And at the end, we went off script and we just sat a bit longer in this like little prophetic thing. And it was like, where's this going, Donald? <laughs> Donald doesn't know. All of us are thinking that. And we're all thinking, Paul, put the words up. And he's like, there are no words. <laughs> it's like, that's us leaning into this charismatic value. We're just leaning into what God's doing with us freshly in the moment, guys. Like, we must not let go of this. Leaning in, showing up that it's like, yeah, it might get a little bit weird, it might get a little bit off script, it might get a little bit messy, but we're still gonna do it anyway. Uh, messing with the charismatic and then getting sort of tidied up again with the contemplative, um, you know, practices of in this hyper-connected world actually Stripping back, slowing down, simplifying, Sabbath, uh, praying quietly, all of those beautiful things as well. Living by a rule of life, putting practices into our lives so that we can be formed into the way of Christ, like getting that functioning. So for all of the freedom of the charismatic, there's kind of this like rigidity of the contemplative, but we need both. 
to actually dance together that way we may grow into healthy people. Uh, contextual, this is the thoughtful engagement of secular culture. You know, we are not existing as a church in a bubble here. We are very thoughtfully trying to engage with our city, Tamaki Makoto, and the kinds of ways that culture is working. We're trying to engage in it. We're not sort of just going, ah, it doesn't exist. It does exist. We all work in it all week long. And we need to thoughtfully engage with what our culture is doing and how it's doing it. We need to make sure that we keep going for the things that Jesus wants us to stand for within this context. Uh, fourthly, fifthly is contending. And contending is this thing of actually praying for the Spirit to move, that revival would come in the church, that renewal would come in our city, that would stand in the gap between the things that are broken and dark and the things that need the kingdom of God. You know, we're praying every week with this moment of prayer to contend. Like, can I be really honest? I don't know if our prayers today are going to stop the war in Ukraine. Like, I'll be honest with you about that. But I'm going to lean in and contend anyway. I'm going to lean in and I'm going to say, Lord, bring peace. Bring, bring your kingdom. Because that is to contend together. Uh, sixthly, compassionate. Remember the poor. Um, John Wimber famously said at a vineyard conference in the early days, he said, if you aren't going to serve the poor, you can feel free to take the name vineyard off your sign right now. And it was just a statement to say, our churches will always serve and remember the poor. They will never become exclusive clubs. They will never become prosperity, gospel, doctrine kind of people that are like, you know, name it and claim it and let's get this thing looking really rich and famous. No, we will always ground ourselves in the context of our city and we'll always ground ourselves amongst the least of these. We will remember the poor for the poor are always going to be with us because they are there to ground us in the reality of this. Lastly, communal being a church of community, not a church of consuming, but a church of communal, living in known relationship with one another. Now I say all of that, okay, this is not on our website, this is not Central Vineyard stuff, this is just Dan kind of saying, this is my heart. When I first saw these things about, about a year and a half, two years ago, I cried with joy that someone had put seven things that I dearly love as a pastor down into seven C's. And I said, this, this is what I wanna do, I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. There's other people who think this too. And it was just like this moment of going, oh, thank you, Lord, that this is what you're doing in your church around the world. You're doing it in other churches. And we wanna be this kind of church too because this is what a centered on Jesus church looks like. It does all of these things. But I want to highlight today one in particular. The one I wanna highlight is the first one, being courageous. And I highlight this because out of all of these seven things, I think courage is what I need as a church leader the most every day I get out of bed at the moment. And I think it's what I'll need every day I get out of bed for quite some time. And I think courage is what this church, what you will need for us to fulfill the things that we're talking about today. To go against the grain of of, of Western culture, to go against the grain of popular opinion, to go against the grain of some of the things that say, well, this is what utopia should look like. This is what humanity should look like. And we go, but, 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 but the Jesus way shows this and the Jesus way shows that. That's gonna take courage to do that. I'm not saying that we become kind of bravado and like, let's, I'm not saying that, I'm just saying it's gonna take courage to stand firm, calmly, and boldly, and to be faithful. It's gonna take courage to hold the course of being Christ-centered in our beliefs, our posture, 
in our actions and our non-action, in our peacemaking, in our serving. It is going to take courage. And so courage is, is what we need to pray for. Courage is what we need to contend for. And I want to pass on a scripture to you today, this, this little scripture from Thessalonians 5 verse 11. So encourage each other, build each other up just as you are already doing. You know, the word encourage literally means to put courage in someone, to encourage them, to put it in them. Have some of mine. And I think that that's, that's just kind of like the work of the church for a while now, is the work of encouragement. You can do it. Oh, put another foot in front of the foot you just walked with just like, oh, you can't, oh, I know that hurts. Come on, stay strong. I know I'm confused about that too. Let's figure that out. Let's go there. Like it's always gonna take courage to do those things. And the endeavor that we are having is the endeavor of staying Christ-centeredness, of staying on the journey, of keeping the main things the main things and not settling for anything less in a time when we could be. And because, and this is where I get personal here, you know, if we don't center on Christ, we're just going to center on something else. I don't know if you've been watching the news for the last couple of weeks, but we're watching as a news report develops of what happens when the church decides to center on other things. I love the churches that are involved. This is not me going at them or anything but I am just going to be very clear today and say we have to be so careful to protect what our center is meant to be and not lose it. It is the pearl of great price. We had to sell the whole farm for it and we had to keep it the most dearest treasure to us. Its name is Jesus. And when we let other things become the center, when they become the, the desire of our hearts, other things start to happen. We start to walk in other ideas and other callings and other ways of systems get developed. And we leave and we disrupt from the original calling that we're meant to have as a faithful presence of Christ. You know, this last couple of weeks of the news of watching um, churches being really put through um, the ringer on some of these ideas around uh, uh, internships and abuse and all of those things, you know, as a pastor, you just sit there and you just, you just weep. You weep because you go, this is not what we get out of bed for. This is not why we do this. this is no one want, none of those guys wanted to set out to create that. But yet what happens is when the center becomes something else, a new gravity and a new system kind of has to be developed and other things kind of get brought into the ecosystem. And before you know it, we're starting to handle a very different beast. And so God have mercy on us for the machine we've made. God have mercy on us for where we have not made the main thing the main thing. And we have de we've developed something else. Uh, I go to pastor's meetings at the moment. It's April. And nearly every pastor looks exhausted. And nearly every pastor looks like they want to quit. And only every pastor is like, I have not got out of bed to do this for what we've just done for the last six months. And by that I'm talking about the vaccine mandates, the division, the separation, the polarity, and all that kind of came with that. 
and still does come with that. There are increasing numbers of pastors who are just leaving, finishing up and done. Because this is not what we signed up for. We signed up to make Christ the center. And why is it we've moved into this whole other argument over here about this thing? (laughs) And it's so deflating. And that's why I'm saying we have to protect the center courageously. Or as I said last week, you know, we talked about the fact that um, COVID for two years now has kind of shown, it's unsettled the church, hasn't it? And shown, oh, we actually do not have discipleship figured out like we thought we did. (laughs) We've gotten really good at consuming something and showing up to something, but man, we are not, we're not actually making very good disciples. That's a call back to the center. That's a call getting back to the main and the plane of making disciples and being disciples and loving God with our whole heart, whole soul, whole being, whole mind. Doing it for our neighbor, loving others, having a life fully formed into full Christ-likeness. Just getting back to that. In the mess of all these things, in the mess, in this disruption, in this dissettling, I've just been repenting of the wrong centers. I've just been repenting in my journal to God. I've just been highlighting another one and another one and saying, oh, that's where we got it wrong again. That's where we made this little side thing into a main thing, Lord, I'm so sorry. And so what I wanted to bring today, because remember, this is just us sharing our hearts, you know. This has not been the most sort of kind of wham, bam, amazing talk. I know that. It's been a bit messy. But what I want to convey is that Central Vineyard, could we... Could we recenter? Could we recenter? Could we realign back to what this is all about? Could we repent of where we've centered on the things that have not been Christ or Christ's way? we repent where we've turned from the Sermon on the Mount and we've turned from the Beatitudes and instead we've just started to to preach popular opinion. Or we've decided to preach the latest like psycho thing. And I've got nothing wrong with the psycho things. I use it myself. I'm all for it. It's important tools. But it doesn't replace the Sermon on the Mount. It doesn't replace the Beatitudes. It doesn't replace the core teachings of Jesus. It has to show us how to look at that better. Could we repent of where we've let culture define our truths rather than letting Jesus And could we turn from where we've let our hearts be torn that we would turn to a brother and a sister in our churches and speak of them in the way we have in the last couple of months? Because it has been rough watching what the body of Christ has been saying about each other. Could we turn from where we've let our postures build a boundary fence when we were meant to be building a well. And I want to remind you today of who we are. We are called Central Vineyard. And with that name, we are saying we are courageously trying to pursue becoming Christ-like.
in all things. And so in all things means in our church structure, it means in our literal gathering. You know, some of you who are visiting today, we've never used that stage. The reason we've never used that stage, no matter how big this room has been filled with people or not, we've just rammed more chairs around here. The reason we always have a table in the center of our gathering is because we want to embody literally with the structure of the room that we are Christ-centered rather than stage-aimed. I've got nothing against a church that wants to use a stage. But we've literally gone, this is so important to us. Everything has to go through this lens. Let us return to being people who have a character growing in us and a destiny that we are walking into of Christ gloriously at the center of all things in our midst. And I am here to cheer you all on in that endeavor. I will get my biggest pom-poms out and I will make a song and dance for anyone who's gonna do that. And I hope you would do it for me too.